Although it's the first week of Advent, I, I wanted to wrap up our series on Jude because we're so close. Okay, we've, today is our last message on Jude, and I figured rather than wait until after Christmas, when you'd probably all forgotten what Jude was about, um, we'd wrap it up today. And then our next three messages over the next three weeks will be more Advent-based as we prepare for Christmas. So, um, yeah, we've been in this sermon series on Jude, haven't we, for the past uh, three weeks, bearing last week. And... Uh, as you probably gathered by now, it's a pretty heavy letter. There's a lot of stuff going on in Jude. Um, but in our last message today, we finally get to some positive and practical counsel on what to do uh, when we encounter false teaching or teachers within the church. And remember, when I say the church, that could certainly be, yes, a uh, an individual church. It could also mean the church general. So, yeah, we're going to get to some positive stuff today, yeah? All right, but not before Jude gives one last, like that. He's got one more little jab in before he gets to some practicals for us. And so he begins in, in verses 17 and 19 through 19 with a final warning, a final warning for us. And it's actually, a, it's a prophetic warning directly from the apostles themselves, Okay, this, you know, the apostles, these are the direct, the disciples of Jesus. They got the teaching firsthand from Jesus. And he says, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. So what Jude is saying there, he's saying that actually we right up to today, have been warned from the beginning, from the inception of the church, that there would be those that would scoff at and mock you because of your faith. That should not become as a surprise to you if you ever have people who make fun of the fact that you're a Christian. Jude called it out all the way back here. And God knew and has always known that this was coming and would, would be the case. Indeed, if you, if you look at scripture, you'll find uh, plenty of places where the apostles do indeed talk of these things. Paul, also an apostle, listen to what he says in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 to 31. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So Paul was dealing with this right from the beginning. All the, the churches that Paul planted. This, this was a threat right from the beginning. And then listen to Peter. What Peter says here in Second Peter, verse 3, chapter 3. It's almost very similar to what Jude says. He says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So over 2,000 or close to 2,000 years ago, we've been warned that there would be those who would mock you and scoff at you for your faith. Well, they also the apostles predicted is that in the last days, which there's no question we are in, all right, the question is how close are we to the Lord's return? We don't know. 
But we've been in the last days since Jesus rose from the dead. In the last days, the apostles told us you would see a rise in the mocking and the scoffing. And I think we can all say that's probably true today. If you look around the wilderness, it is uh, not very fashionable to be a Christian these days. It's not like it was 20, 30 years ago. You know, even it's, uh, it's less popular to be a Christian these days. Now, Jude says these, these scoffers, they have uh, three characteristics that he lists. He says, one, they follow their own ungodly desires. Secondly, they cause division. And thirdly, they are worldly people who do not have the spirit. So let's look at those three real quick. Firstly, they follow their own ungodly desires. You know what that means? It means they don't believe in the authority of God. They believe in the authority of the self. And that, if anything, that really defines our age, the times that we are living in. It's, it's this idea that I am the authority of my life. I am, the, I am the center of my life. Everything is about me and my happiness. And what that leads to is, is a selfish lifestyle. It's not God-centered, but it's self-centered. Secondly, Jude says that they cause division. Division is one of the major outcomes of heresy. If you look throughout church history, what has divided churches is some kind of heretical issue that splits the church, right? Wherever you have heresy, you will have division. When heretical teachings invade the church, they inevitably divide churches. It it, it just happens. And and today we are witnessing uh, many divides and schisms in churches and denominations. Have you noticed that? There there are a lot of splits happening in in churches and denominations right now. And the the biggest issue that that centers around right now is the LGBTQ issue. This is a huge issue for churches, how, how they navigate this. Right, And it's really dividing a lot of churches. I mean, you pick your denomination. It's, it's affected Presbyterians, Baptists, Lutherans. It's affected Congregationalists. Uh, the Methodist Church is dealing with this right now. Big schism going on there. The Anglican Church, the Church of England in particular, is this is on the horizon. It's beckoning. There's, there's a reckoning coming with this. And the problem is that many churches... And many priests and ministers are abandoning the authority of Scripture. That's where the issue lies. The moment you abandon the authority of Scripture, you take away the anchor for morality. There's no grid for what's right and wrong except our own subjective opinions. And here's the thing. We know that culture and values change all the time, don't they? You think about our world just 10, 20 years ago and how many of our uh, cultural values have shifted, haven't they, quite dramatically. You think, go back to the 1950s or the 1920s or to the 1800s and think about all the, the social norms that were accepted, that were okay by society, that now we would shake our heads at. Culture is not a gauge of what is steady in terms of of morality. They're not constant, they're not reliable. And 
their values and beliefs, they change all the time and they will change again down the road. 10, 20 years from now, you'll be find, find there are new beliefs that have crept in, new taboos that are okay, new traditions that are not okay. And the point here is you can't rely on culture and what culture and society in general says is right. We have to get back to what scripture teaches on these things rather than what fickle culture tries to bully and intimidate the church into believing. But at the heart of all this is division. Division. And as Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, he says, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. When you have division, things collapse, don't they? Now, thirdly, Jesus says that these scoffers, they they follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. And again, this is connected to being ungodly, right? When you don't have Jesus, you don't have the spirit. And when you don't have the spirit, you can only live by the world and its values. And without the Holy Spirit, we are blind to the truth of who God is. Hence why many people without the spirit scoff at believers. You see how it's all interconnected? You know, the Apostle John, all right, so we've, we've gone from Paul, Peter, now John, nails this home powerfully in his first epistle, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. He says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So you, you kind of have a, you got a truth set right there. All right, those who acknowledge Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, acknowledge who Jesus is and those who don't. That's where the truth ultimately lies. Now at this point, Jude is done, pretty much, with his criticism and denouncement of these false teachers. So everybody, big sigh of relief, okay? Ah, okay, okay. And what you see is a change of tone in verse 20. Jude says, but you, dear friends, we have a change of tone, all right, from these people. Remember I pointed out a few weeks ago to dear friends. Jude is now getting to the practicals. And remember, let's review here. What, what, is, what is the goal of Jude writing this letter? Yes, it's to call out the false teachers, but it's also to encourage the church to contend for the faith, to stand firm, to defend the faith, to fight for the faith that has come directly from Jesus and the apostles. So now in these next verses, Jude, he finally gets to some ways to do that. Verses 20 and 21, he says, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal 
life. That's a beautiful piece of scripture. And actually, there's a lot in it when you break it down because one of the first things it does is it embodies three of the highest Christian values. Faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. Right? Jude says, build yourself up in your most holy faith. Keep yourself in God's love. Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. That speaks of hope, the hope of eternal life. Also, notice something else about these verses. They also point us to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Notice that? Jude says, praying in the Holy Spirit, kept in God, that would be the Father's love, and waiting on the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful Trinitarian verse that also espouses these amazing Christian virtues. So what's Jude saying here? Well, he's saying that one of the major ways to contend for our faith is by building ourselves up in our faith. Folks, that is, that is so relevant for us today. Right? Why is it relevant? It's because we, we live in a dizzyingly fast-paced world where we have unparalleled access to information. And of course, with that comes access to false information, misinformation, disinformation that can easily derail our faith if we're not careful, if we're not careful to build ourselves up in our faith. And you know, saying, I believe, that's not a one and done. Right? That's, that's not something that just happened one day in your life, X number of years ago, and you said, you know, yeah, I, I said I believe. It's, it's not like one day you say, you know, I, yeah, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I'm saved, okay, that's done, on to the next thing for my life. I check that box. Our faith is something that constantly needs to be built up. It constantly needs to be maintained. It constantly needs to be fortified. It constantly needs to be fed to grow. You know, there are many ways to build yourself up in your faith, but the essentials are regular time in the Word, right? Read the Bible regularly. It will feed your soul. I guarantee you've got to give it a chance, but read it regularly. Surround yourself with God's people through being part of a church community and serving in that community. And thirdly, as Jude says here, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean, praying in the Holy Spirit? Well, it could certainly mean praying in tongues, um, a personal prayer language that can be fostered between you and the Holy Spirit. You know, you may or may not be surprised to know your pastor. I pray in tongues in my personal prayer time. I find it incredibly edifying. It helps me to pray for uh, long periods of time. That's how some of our Pentecostal brothers and sisters interpret that verse. But you know, all prayer that is Christ-centered and directed towards God is essentially 
praying in the Spirit. When you pray to God, to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is at work in you. So the essential point here is pray. Pray. Doesn't matter how you do it, pray. And you know, one of the most important ways we build ourselves up in our faith is by praying and making prayer a regular part of your life, not just when you're in panic mode. But you know what? Prayer is not only just about praying on your own. Prayer is about praying for others. And I would go one step further and say, it doesn't mean just praying for others on your own. Praying with others. Praying with one another is, is so powerful. If you want to know how powerful this, just, just ask anyone who attends our, our prayer meetings on Wednesday evening. It's a powerful time, isn't it? Right? Where we, we gather together. You know, the other wonderful thing about that is we were just talking about this the other week at our prayer meeting. We were talking and celebrating all the prayers that God has answered, that we have prayed. You see how that builds your faith up? You look back and you're like, wow, he has been so, so faithful. See, prayer is not just for you and your relationship with God. It is that, but it's not just that. It's also for the benefit of others, for the benefit of the church. right? If you withhold praying for others, do you realize you're doing them a disservice? Right? If you get the urge from the Holy Spirit, and don't tell me you don't sometimes, because I know you do. When you get this little nudge, you should go pray for that person. Go up to them, say, can I pray? And you're like, no, no, I'm from New England. We don't do that here. No. Right? You're doing that person a disservice because the, the Holy Spirit has nudged you to do that. And you might, you might have something very uh, pertinent to say to them, something really relevant to their life. And you withhold it because what? You feel awkward. It's like anything else in life. When you feel awkward at something, the more you do it, the more natural it becomes and the easier it becomes. But you've got to start somewhere. But it's a good question to ask yourself. When was the last time you prayed for someone face to face? Or when you asked someone, hey, how can I be praying for you? That, that's a culture we, we should be developing in our church, all right? But you know why? That was the culture of the early church. Jesus and his disciples, they did that all the time. They prayed for one another. They gathered together. They broke bread. It wasn't this, you know, me and my, my, my private relationship with God. That ain't Christianity. See, there's something else very important about these verses, 20 to 21. Right? They talk about faith, love, and hope. They talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But there's also something else that's not as obvious in English as it is in the Greek. When you look at the Greek, which is what Jude was writing in the language he was writing in, all the yous, the Y-O-U's, are plural. So if I was to read that as Jude really intended it, it would be more like this. But y'all, you all, dear friends... By building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as y'all wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring y'all 
to eternal life. You know what that means, right? Judas telling us to build ourselves up in our faith together. Not in your bedroom on your own, but together. It's a corporate thing we do together. That's why the church and being part of a church that you actively participate in is so important. We've lost something in our Western society here, which is so individualistic. We've lost something about the importance of the corporate gathering. And as followers of Jesus, our faith, it's not just a personal thing between you and God. It's not just an individual lifestyle choice. It's a corporate communal faith that God designed that way. We must be. We have to be in a community of faith if we want to honor God and to build ourselves up in the faith. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here because you, you get it. You're here because you get it. God bless you. We just need to convince a thousand other people. But Gene L. Green, who's a Bible commentator, he said this. He says, community is the soil where faith grows. Community is the soil where faith grows. And I would add this in contrast to that. Isolation is where faith withers. Community is where it grows. Isolation is where it withers. If you're trying to do this Christian thing solo, you're going to end up with a half-baked faith. You've got to be in a church. We build ourselves up in our faith so that we don't wander and stray from God. That's what Jude means in verse 21 when he says, keep yourselves in God's love. Because you know, isn't it, it's so easy, isn't it, to, to drift from God? Have you noticed that? I think we, we've all experienced that. I've experienced that, right? You get a little complacent, you know, you get, you get caught up in the busyness of life. Doing this and doing that and going here and going there and seeing that person, you know, and you're working every hour God's sending. And before you realize it, you can't remember the last time that you talked to God. You can't remember the last time you opened your Bible. You realize it's been weeks, maybe months since you've been to church. And if you're like me, you feel icky. You're like, ah, I'm I'm irritable. I'm just annoyed at everything. Something's not right. And you realize, I know what it is. I'm not spending any time with the Lord. I've been neglecting him. I've let the busyness of life prioritize my time with God. But Jude, Jude's saying, hang in there. He's saying, stick with it. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Because if you persevere and you keep yourself in God's love, then there is eternal life through Jesus waiting for you. You've got to keep the end goal in sight here. When the going gets tough, remember the end goal. Jesus is waiting for you. And it's the best investment you can possibly make because the return on that investment is eternal. You know, some of you, uh, you might be familiar with, uh, with a story that's made recent headlines in the last few weeks. And it's, um, so this fellow called Sam Bankman Freed. You familiar? Of course you are. And, uh, 
He's a 30-year-old entrepreneur and the CEO of a, a cryptocurrency empire called FTX. Just a few weeks ago, on Monday, November 7th, he was worth an estimated $16 billion. By the Friday of that same week, his estimated worth was $1. And his company was filing for bankruptcy. See, when you invest in the wrong things, your returns will be temporary. When you invest in Jesus, your return is eternal. So for verses 20 to 21 that we just went over, we're about instructions for ourselves and how we should work on our own spiritual growth. Verses 22 to 23 are where Jude gives us instruction on how to relate to others who might be being affected or swayed by false teachings and false teachers. And I think we've all encountered this, right? We all have a, a brother or sister in Christ who is, you, you can tell their faith's getting rocked. There's some things going on in their life, they're having questions, and all of a sudden they're like, I, I'm not sure about this. I, I'm not sure if I believe. So what does Jude say about those situations and how we should handle them? Well, in verse 22, he says, be merciful to those who doubt. So when we see somebody who's being swayed by false teaching and we see doubt creeping up in them and they start getting wrapped up in lies and deception, we need to have compassion and mercy for those people, not scorn and contempt. And you know what, I've got to make a confession here, I do. Because it weighed heavily on my heart when I read that verse. That I've sometimes been guilty of the latter. When somebody's faith is being shaken or rocked, it, it depends on the person, but there's this whole movement within Christianity called deconstruction. And I don't want to go into that in any depth, but at a base level, it's when someone, a Christian, they start revisiting their long-held beliefs and rethinking them. They start asking questions, well, what do I really believe and why do I believe this, right? And for some people, that leads to a deeper appreciation of the faith. It can be a really good thing because it can solidify what you believe. And we certainly do want to ask questions about what we believe and why we believe. But for some, what that does is it leads into this whole deconstruction. They take apart every bit of their faith and they end up walking away from their faith. And losing their faith. And there's been a string of prominent people, well-known Christians, uh, who've, who've done this recently, have made public announcements on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and whatever, Snapchat, you know, that I'm no longer a Christian. You know, they wear it sort of like a badge of pride. And I'll admit, when, when I've seen those things, my first reaction in the past has, has often been one of scorn. You know, thinking things like, well, they're just not strong enough, they lack faith, they, they were never really a Christian, they never really had any debt, they shouldn't have played with fire. And you know what? That's wrong. That's wrong. As followers of Jesus, that's not the attitude we are have 
towards people who are either struggling with their faith or have, have walked away from their faith. We, we need to show compassion and mercy to people who are struggling with their faith and show them the love of Christ by walking with them through their struggles. That's what Jude is saying here when he says, be merciful to those who doubt. That verse is a, a convicting verse for me. He says in verse 23, save others by snatching them from the fire. You know what that means? We, we have an active role to play in helping others stand firm in their faith and not falling to the schemes of the enemy. And you know what that highlights again? Why being in a church community is so important. We can't just withdraw to our own private spirituality, just God and me. You see, sadly, I've seen this happen with people. Something difficult happens in their life, but God hasn't answered their prayers the way they expected God to answer them. And instead of running to the church community, they run from the church community. They say, you know what? I'm done. I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with it. And that is the worst thing you can do. When life gets difficult, when struggles get hard, when things are closing in on you, you know where you should come to the church? Come to the people of God. Let us pray for you. Let us care for you. Let us wrap our arms around you. Don't run from God's people. Lastly, Jude shows how to relate to false teachers. He says, To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. So isn't that interesting? Even here, with how Judas chewed them out for possibly two-thirds of his letter, Jude still calls us to show mercy mixed with a healthy fear for these false teachers. You know what that means is it means that we, we need to be praying for those teaching lies and deception. That God would, would change their hearts and speak truth into their lives. Because there are certainly false teachers out there who know they're teaching lies. But there are many people who teach error with the best of intentions. Not knowing what they are doing is a lie or that they are deceived. We need to pray for them and we need to have compassion for them that they would see the truth of who God is and his word. All right, so after a pretty heavy letter with lots of twists and turns, finally, Jude ends his letter with one of the most beautiful doxologies in the Bible. What is a doxology, I hear you ask? We sing one every Sunday, don't we? What is a doxology? Well, simply put, it's an expression of praise to God, often in a liturgical setting. But it, the word doxology, it comes from the Greek word doxa, which means glory. It can also mean common belief. But a doxology gives glory and praise to God. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault, with great joy. To the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore.
Amen. If Jude had been given the assignment of writing a doxology for his seminary class, that would be an A++. I don't think I even need to unpack that, but I want to leave you with one thought as we wrap up Jude today. If we keep ourselves in God's love by building ourselves up in the faith, then Jesus is able to keep you, me, us all from stumbling, from straying from the path. And not only that, but to present you before God the Father without blemish, perfect in his eyes. Not because of anything you or I have done, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. He died for our sins, and by rising from the dead, he has opened up eternal life to us. That's why there's great joy when we are presented before God. It's like Jesus saying to the Father, look who I have here. Look who I brought with me. I got Alyssa right here. Check her out. Isn't she amazing? Isn't she perfect? Look who I've brought into your presence. And now they're righteous, they're cleansed, and they're holy in your eyes before you. All that, all that sin and that shame and that guilt you're feeling right now, even in this moment, all that pain, all that hurt, gone. I know none of us can imagine what that might feel like because we've lived our whole lives with some form of shame or guilt or hurt or pain. You know, sometimes you don't even realize you're living with something until it's gone. I'm telling you, when we get before Jesus, when we get before the throne and we're cleansed and we're pure and we're made righteous, it's going to be like something you've never experienced. And that's what Jesus can do for you. To the only God, our Savior, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. And the church said, Amen. Let's pray.